Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Pat Williams. As always, Pat, how are we doing, man? Good. How are you? How's it Pretty going? Pretty good. Things are good. Things are good. I went to uh, went to the Moose uh, Rockford game last weekend. I, I actually avoided the school day game that was this past weekend for the sake of my ears. Um, but uh, what about you? Did you go to any games or were you remotely? Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, a couple of games this past weekend, uh, including one in Hershey for the hockey fight transfer night. So that was cool. Um, pretty cool moment. Garrett Rowe, uh, Hershey Bears forward, uh, his mom had passed away and, uh, they did a really nice tribute, uh, to him kind of on the video board, uh, you know, as I think it was his first shift that, of the afternoon and, you know, kind of like did one of those, you know, so it was, uh, it's a really cool, um, charity event you know that the, all the teams really get into it. i know the players get into it uh as well so uh yeah you know starting to now we're getting into the flow of the schedule i think you know the first in this league the first three four weeks of the, of the schedule is a little a little choppy but now you start to you know get a little bit more of a flow uh, to everything how far are you from lehigh valley and wilkes-barre oh i mean like it's so different, right? Like being in the in the east and the west, right? Oh like yeah, Manitoba, like I mean, on, they're Milwaukee, on an island. It's an island, right? Like Milwaukee's the closest team, really. Yeah. Um, so what are you? Um, two hour drive away? No, uh, Hershey to Lehigh is about uh, I want to say like an hour and five minutes. I think almost door to door. Wow. Okay. And Wilkes would be probably about an hour and a half, give or take, right? Like. Um, so you, you can see like why guys like to play in the East, right? The travel, like, Oh, you're staying you know, in your own bed most nights. Yeah. Like, so like you take a team like Hershey, they, they, I think they play six against each team on the road. So that's like 12 out of your 36 right off the bat or you're home by like midnight, you know, yeah. seven o'clock game. So, uh, yeah, the travel can't be beat. Like you don't get the long, you know, like the most always have like the six game road trips, I think. First year they came back, they had an eight gamer. I mean, so like that's a long time on the road. Um, yeah. you know, so like you know, the, the bears, I mean, it sometimes it almost is a little too much like time at home. The coaches, yeah, like, to yeah, get away. Like, I was talking to Lehigh Valley's coach, LaPerriere, La, La this uh, past weekend, and you know, he's like, they're going up to Belleville, uh, and Laval this weekend. He's actually kind of excited, like, you know, actually get on the road for, for once and not kind of the you know, up and back same day. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit, you know, some trade-offs one way or the other, but yeah, no, it's good travel-wise. For sure. Now, the big news uh, of the hockey world this week that has a direct impact with the AHL is the Edmonton Oilers hiring Chris Nalbach as their head coach. He's with Hartford the night before it was announced coaching, and then in, like, that that gif of Will Ferrell in uh, that movie where it's, like, that escalated quickly, uh, it escalated quite quickly. And... You know, not a total shock. Obviously, there's a connection. He coached Connor McDavid and Erie and all that. But obviously, there's more to Chris Nalbach than just being Connor McDavid's junior coach. And I thought we'd start off by maybe just giving a bit of insight as to what you know from from covering him over the last couple of years and just what kind of coach he is. You know, there's a lot out there about the McDavid connection, but we haven't really heard about who Chris Nalbach is. Yeah, so you know, first off, like what a crazy world hockey can be, right? Like totally Friday night, Hartford had a game, Saturday night game, Sunday morning, he, he's on a plane to Edmonton. Um, 
the Wolfpack had a game that afternoon in Providence, right? So, like, they get to the rink and they get word, like, hey, where's our coach? You know, so they get the word broken to them. Steve Smith, the former NHL defenseman, taking over. He's the assistant in Hartford. Wait, was it a game day? Was it? Yeah, it was a game day. So literally like about, I don't know, let's say three, four hours before game time, you know, before they're, you know, getting on the bus. It's about, I think it's 90 minutes over to to Providence. Um, Three o'clock game and they get word like, hey, um, our coach is off to Edmonton, right? So. Um, it's a, just a crazy business. So that's like the first part. And then you think like then Knobloch has to jump right in uh, Monday night against the Islanders. Uh, so uh, I think fortunately, I think with Knobloch, the good thing is, all right. So I was like, it's a very tense, very uh, kind of delicate situation in Edmonton lately, right? Knobloch is like, he's like the cold water on the fire. Like, you're not bringing in somebody that's going to come in and, and, and add tension, add a lot of like all that Tortorella style energy, let's say. Sure. Right. Like you're getting somebody that's very calm, very deliberate. You know, he's more kind of almost professorial than, um, you know, the, the yeller screamer. Um, very calm, very like, um, uh, keeps his emotions very, you know, you know, close to the chest. Like you're not going to, he's a, he's a tough guy to read. I, I've known him now for about four years uh, with Hartford. You know, I <laughs> often still felt like I didn't really know him, know him right? Like, uh, but uh, he's a good communicator. Like he's uh, very good at kind of tailoring the communication plan with each player, depending on their, you know, different personalities, their needs, maybe kind of where they are in their career. Uh, so I think he's going to go into Edmonton and just, I think, take the temperature down, if nothing else, which is what they need, I think, right off the bat. Uh, because, you know, I know, you know, just even from the outside, things are really, you know, pretty, pretty dire pressure uh, filled, right? Like that's a tense environment in the best of times, I feel like. And then, you know, Certainly, when you you throw in this this start to the season, you know, for a team that you know was expected to make a lot of noise this year, and then obviously you have the McDavid and the Drysaddle um, contracts looming off in a couple of years, so I think him coming in there and just selling everything down, uh, if he does nothing else, that will be a success. Do you have any more you can expand on with the uh, Wolfpack finding out? Like, do you, so <laughs> like Steve Smith was the assistant, mm-hmm. so you know one of the coaches is there and like the thing too about this is it's not like his name was rumored before. Right. So it's not like the guys had like a bit of an inkling or whatnot. You had to keep it tight lipped obviously in those couple hours, but do you have any more idea like what actually like happened or like how he, like after he coached the game, did he go back to his house in Hartford? Did he fly out to Edmonton? Like, do you know anything about that? Yeah, I've been able to extract, like, little bits and pieces. Um, what I know is, I mean, just, like, logistics. So, like, they played a – Providence, right? They played Providence on Saturday night in Hartford, right? So, um, you start to start to do the math there, and you're thinking, okay, like, he was in Edmonton by Sunday afternoon, right? Yeah. So, like, you got you to, like, get on the road first thing Sunday morning and catch a, catch a flight out of Hartford – um, I don't, I wasn't able to determine, you know, really getting confirmation if, you know, if it was a charter flight or we just, you know, booked, I don't know, near Canada flight to Toronto and then on to Edmonton. I don't, I, that part, I don't know, but 
Uh, but you know, I mean, that's all, it's a haul, right. <laughs> to get from the East coast all the way up, you know, at, out to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, I think the news broke around maybe 10, I want to say 10 o'clock Eastern. The what? No, the uh, Woodcroft news broke. I, all I can tell you is that I know for sure that around 1230 noon, they announced that Nallblock was going to be, or yeah. Fried- Friedman had it, that he was going to be the yeah. coach. Yeah. So, but I mean, you know, like, Nablock wasn't on, on the radar at all, like, you know, leading up to it. I mean, everyone was talking, you know, uh, Gerard Gallant, you know, those kind of the big NHL type names as, as a potential possibility, you know, if they did uh, get rid of Woodcroft and then like kind of out of left field, Nablock's name. I was like, wait, did I read that right? Nowadays yeah. on Twitter, especially like I find like, wait, is this a... This is a fake account, like exactly. That's how the way you know, operate these days. Then I start getting some texts coming in, you know, from people, you know, you know, within hockey, and I'm like, oh my god, that it's true, you know. So right. like, this all happened in the span, I don't know, maybe three minutes. Uh so yeah, that, that's kind it's of just you know, so weird because it's not a, like it's within the organization. Yeah, like, like AHL coaches going up is commonplace, thing, like during yeah. the year. That's whatever, you know. Quick turnaround. Okay, we get. There's still something to that, but go to a different organization season, yeah. to get permission from New York mm-hmm. to all those things and keep it tightly under wraps. It's pretty interesting. And, and there's no way it was, it was a long process. No, I mean, it couldn't have been. No, um, exactly. It's a few days. I mean, you know, the last I was actually, I dug, dug up some info last time it, this kind of thing happened where a coach was promoted to another NHL team. Yes. Their head coach, Kirk Muller, 2011, he was in Milwaukee, which is with Nashville. He got right. called to Carolina. So that's 12 years ago. I don't even remember the last time before that. So you're talking, you know, maybe once every once every 10, 20 years you see something like that. So, yeah, definitely a rare thing. Um, you typically, dating, a lot of times coaches don't even have the uh, ability to do so. They're not allowed, you know, contractually. Yeah. So uh, the Rangers gave him that uh, opportunity and – um yeah it's it is wild though you think like so you had hartford he, he must have had an out clause of some sort because yeah. why would you ever willingly disrupt your mildly affiliate in that way yeah. you have to well, I mean, know the thing is though like if you want to attract good candidates like you can't hold them back either right sure so, like but you know like, here that's the only yeah. thing i'm like kind of surprised yeah. by but, but think, yeah. about, think about the wolf pack right like they had a three and three weekend, so three teams in a span of uh, what forty four hours. <laughs> they they lose their change coach. coaches, yeah, right. Like you know, like they get a new coach, like you know, what three hours before game time. They have a bus ride to Providence, right? Like I think to their credit, they actually got a point on Sunday afternoon. You know, overtime loss, but uh, it just yeah, this league is it's crazy just because you have all all the things going on with your own team in your own little bubble, but then you have the NHL team, the parent club, and now you add a second NHL team kind of affecting your picture. So there's just something always happening uh, with mm-hmm. these teams. And, you know, it's just, you know, when coaches say at this level, you just adapt on the fly. Like, I mean, they're not kidding, right? Like, think about if you're Steve Smith, right? Like, sure, you're, you're you know, you started the week as the assistant coach, and now you're now you're kind of running the show. Um, I yeah. think at – at some point, they have to figure out what they're going to do in Hartford in terms of uh, bringing another assistant, you know, how, how they're going to oh, start yeah. things. But, um, yeah, that's a lot to handle, I think, for anybody, you know, especially somebody, you know, taking on a head coaching role for the first time like Smith is. 
absolutely. Now, moving on here, I want to talk about Nick Blankenberg because this is one of those cases where, and we talk about this a lot, where contract status can dictate where you're playing. But this is an odd one because so Nick Blankenberg played the entire 22-23 season with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. And he actually did quite well. He was a good defense. He was, he was very good, actually. You know, granted, Columbus wasn't a great team. Don't get me wrong. But he was an impactful, you know, middle, you know, second pairing slash third play, pairing type guy for Columbus. Never was in the AHL. Went from Michigan right there. 25 years old. And then he sent down to the AHL. And at first, I remember seeing it being like, okay, this has to be a paper transaction. Yeah. Because, you know, it two reasons. One, I, I don't remember reading, you know, from Aaron Porson on the athletic or anyone that he was having a abnormally bad camp or that he was injured or anything. So it seems strange. But you know, with adding Damon Severson and just the backlog of contracts there, he's down in the AHL. And you know, I gotta say, Pat, like we always talk about is someone really too good for the league? You can always benefit. But I'm kind of in the camp of like I feel bad for the guy. I feel like he's definitely an NHL player and you could see it. You know, there's certain guys in the league who are like, that's an NHL player. And it's yeah. kind of unfortunate for him, but he was there last year and now he's back down because of that. So what was the last time you remember something like this happening where it's on a sophomore slump per se, but there's that contract status. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything. Off don't you hand, love right? when I put you on the spot? Don't you? Yeah. Know right. <laughs> yeah. Thank exactly. you. Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it happens. You know, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying too. Like when you, you see a transaction like that and you're like, your first thing your mind goes to is like, you know, it's just a paper transaction. Um, you know, like, yeah, I mean the, the cap There's is more to this. So you know, complicated you know. these days. I mean, cap's always been complicated, but I feel like, as we go further and further, it gets more and more complicated. Um, and yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I I was surprised when I when I saw that news. Uh, you know, you know, and, and he came in last year, right? Like, he was a pretty well developed player. He spent four years in Michigan, yes, right. So, like, he's not coming in as like a young kid, right? Like, he he was uh, fairly far along in his development. And, and that's what I mean. Like, it, yeah, it's kind of like you have this kind of finished product per se because this is what nick blankenberg is and nick blankenberg would be on a lot of rosters so it is something to monitor because i don't know how long this is gonna be able to really last you know like i if i if i'm the player i'm pretty upset and then the reason i want to bring this up too is so in my opinion as i just said he's an nhl player what happens here the inverse of that and this is where it's kind of tricky is when you've got a guy like that that is clearly too good for the level and, I, and with Blakeyberg, I think he is one of the rare cases here. You're kind of stagnating the development of your other prospects, the guys that really need that time. So you've got him playing 20-plus minutes a night, right, and all that stuff. Great. But the next wave of your prospects, they're getting less minutes, and you're kind of kind of delaying the rotation that happens year after year. And that's kind of the one troubling I, you know, aspect I would say from this, too. Yeah, there's that, there's that like trickle down effect, like domino right. effect, whatever you want, however you want to term it. But uh, you know, like he did run into injuries last year, so that's yeah, yeah. Hard. Um, I think he, what 36 games last year. So if you're looking, I mean, I guess if you're looking at it that way, like, hey, we just want this guy to play a ton, right? Like, we want him to go down there and play 20, 25 minutes in Cleveland, dominate, like, be be the guy, right? Or one of the guys. Yeah. Then, then I guess I can sort of I I can follow that line of thinking. But I, I still, yeah, I was surprised 
a little bit. On the other hand, you know what? Like there is a, a ton of kind of upheaval in Columbus the last, um, well, certainly the last month and a half with, with everything, mm-hmm. with coaching change, but even like going back to last season and, you know, you have a team that's underachieved. You have, you know, new coach coming in. Um, taking kind of over. starting from scratch. You have a GM that's kind of, yeah, kind of like, you know, been under, the, you know, a lot of pressure. And um, so I guess, I guess from that side of things, you can, you can kind of follow the thinking that, okay, like it is a little bit, there is some pressure now, like kind of a win, win now. Um approach to what they're doing in yeah i I guess the the problem i have is like if it's a if it's a 21 year old and we're having this conversation Mm -hmm. and nick blackenberg is the same player but he's 21 i know you know age is a number but you can kind of understand him more it's like the guy's 25 years old you know he's oh i'm with you i'm with you you know it's like it's just such one of those puzzling things where it's like you're looking at it and it's like okay this is an nhl player not only from what our eyes can see in the hl but the body of work from last year like what's the plan here and that's kind of where I like, you know, it's hard not to feel for the player in the situation because yeah. of course, professional athletes make a lot of money, but there's a big discrepancy when you're on ELC from NHL money and NHL money, you know, in the NHL, you're having flaming yo's after the game, the <laughs> HL, you're having sandwiches and pizza. It's a little different, right? You know, like it, it that's, that sucks. Um, especially when he's probably one of the best six defensemen on the team uh, on Columbus. Right. And, but because, some other guys need waivers. He's going down. Um, and your checks evolved too. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was, it was definitely strange because it, it's one of those situations where I kind of firmly believe if it weren't for, you know, say the fact they had good rents on that contract or if it weren't for the fact they, uh, sorry, more importantly, the fact they acquired Damon Severson, right? Yeah. And and Provorov and Beans back. Right. So this is what happens. It, so yeah, so you're right. Maybe, I mean, maybe the original plan was to have him in Cleveland last year, but circumstances changed that. And now I guess maybe he kind of threw kind of a wrinkle in the whole plan by oh, yeah. there and playing well. But um it's weird. But yeah, no, I mean then now on top of it, now you have a Columbus team that's really fighting it, you know, like they've lost six in a row and um were they four four eight and four now, so you know, like you can see that pressure building and building and building in Columbus, right? Like, so, you know, I, I won't be surprised at some point if they do bring him up. I mean, um, you know, I think something has to give in Columbus at some point. And for you know, sure. I, I would be shocked if he's, uh, if he's a part of that. So, Maybe they swap uh, out him a year check or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like they sent your check down for this week past weekend and then they brought him back up. So like, it's just kind of like the elevator, baby. Yeah. Columbus is just a tough situation right now. And, um, you know, I think that's just one we're going to kind of have to watch almost on a day-to-day basis. For sure. Now, Isaac Poulter, you may not know that name, but you want to learn it now. I'm going to tell you 22 year old undrafted goaltender. He is in his, well, you know, last year he split the year between the ECHL and AHL. Nothing crazy, nothing too sexy, but his numbers last year, we are, he's seven games of the year and he is like the, one of the top five goalies in the HL right now for the Utica Comets in seven games. He's a nine thirty eight save percentage. It, this is a guy that, you know, his numbers in junior were never really that good. To be frank, he was yeah. pretty decent in the coast last year. And 
we're seeing kind of the next Logan Thompson, the next undrafted guy that has peaked at around, you know, 20, 21 years old once they've aged on a major junior and they're kind of hitting their stride at this age, you know, goalies take longer to develop. So he, and he is quite young by goaltender standards, but what he's doing Utica right now is pretty fantastic. Well, he's from Winnipeg. So it's already got a point in his favor, right? Like... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's from a good state. All right, fine. Isaac Poulter is my cousin. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You know, like, um... I gotta be honest. I had never heard of him from the Winnipeg seat. Not yeah. saying the most plugged in, never heard of this guy. Before. Yes. Well, you know, he's an interesting case, right? So, like, you know, he comes into the junior ranks at uh, 17. Yeah. Then he kind of runs into the COVID year, which obviously for a lot of players threw everything off track. Plays his overage year um, in, in the Western League. Undrafted. Uh, gets an opportunity with, with uh, Utica, New Jersey. Um, goes down to the ECHL. Shows some promise, but you know, certainly that that's a that's a far cry from uh, what we're seeing now. What we're seeing now, um, now he comes in, you know, like so, like Nico Dawes and Kira Schmid had kind of been the guys in Utica the past couple of years, yeah. Then, then Eric Children comes in from, from the Marlies in the offseason, like you know, you sort of expect Children's going to be the number one. Well, you know, Children struggled, so here you have like you know, you have Poulter, and he just gets off to a great start, like. Opening weekend, you know, strong performance and this, you know, really, you know, he's been had nothing this year. No, it's exactly. like no, you're not getting handed anything if you're a if you're an undrafted goalie, you know, no. that to start off the pro pro career in, in the ECHL. Like every little thing you get is going to be, you know, by by your own merit. So, I uh, yeah, no, I like I, I think this is a classic case of like, but, you yeah, know, you, you grab the opportunity when it comes, and you know, team. If it's, you know, a team is, uh, you know, it's the number one guy struggling a little bit and, and, and you can jump in there and, and kind of, you know, save things, you know, especially early on in the season, you don't want to, you know, obviously teams don't want to get off to a bad start. So you can come in and stabilize things in the middle of it. I mean, like, you know, now, now as with any player, any goalie, I think especially like, you know, kind of the, the real litmus test will be, you know, much bigger sample size, like, you know, body of work. Sure. But, yeah, yeah. But, like, like, let's check back in, you know, as the schedule starts to really pick up and the grind it picks up and, like, how does he hold up? But, you know, uh, well, yeah, more credit I, to you. I mean, what I find so interesting is you look at it and it's like, Air Shulgren's one of the highest paid AHL goaltenders right now, like his minor league salary. And when you, when you have that kind of sizable investment, right, you know, you're going to give that guy every chance uh, to, to overcome the struggles and whatnot. Sure. But what's happening with Poulter that's so interesting is like, I think New Jersey's kind of gone, okay, this kid's legit. Like, this is like, we may have found something here. We would be remiss not to give this kid what he's earned here. Like, with each passing game and seven games, it's not a lot, but while facing a decent volume of shots night in and night out, like, he's been a rock for them. And it's, it's cool. Like, it's fun to see, um, this sort of progression because the way that goaltending is happening is kind of taking shape. The NHL is changing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but what's always been a constant now and before is you can find these diamonds in the rough, right? You can find these guys at lower levels and whatnot. You just, it's kind of a crapshoot in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know how much of credit I'm giving to New Jersey for finding the kid. I'm taking, I'm thinking that Isaac Polcher is like taking this opportunity and completely turned his career into a 180 
Like this is this is a kid that he's on the he's on pace for an ELC at this rate. It's yeah. early, but I'm saying at like even even if he is half of what he is now, he's getting an entry level contract at the year. I would say. Yeah. Just, yeah. So you you look at the <clears throat> New Jersey Devils, right? Like they have Vitek Vanacek and Kira Schmid there up top. Like Nico Dawes has been hurt, so like he's on IR, and so then you think, okay, well, Shogun will at least keep us kind of stable in Utica. Well, then that's, you know, there's some struggles there early on. So, you know, this business is so much the right place, right time, and what you do with that, you know, like it's, um, yeah, that, that's the other, obviously, the key part of it. But, uh, totally. you know, goalies are, you know, I mean, any player's difficult to project, like, you know, that's why scouts, you know, I mean, that's why we have scouts, right? Like, yeah. But, you know, like goalies, I think, are even more, Totally. Or elusive on that on that front. So yeah, I mean, it's a low risk investment when you bring a player in, kind of you know, to be your ECHL slash AHL kind of bubble goalie. But uh, uh, good rangy size, like you know, um, you know, for Poulter, and you know, certainly a guy that's you know, he's at different points shown that he could be a number one. But you know, that was in the Western League, right? So that's a huge jump. Uh, but we, we do know we can handle a workload. So that, that's the first thing. And, uh, you know, again, like, I think it, it's just an interesting case. Like I, I always harp on this, but like, it's true. Like I, I'm really intrigued by the long-term ramifications of, of the uh, COVID year. Um, kind of like some players, I think it would benefit other players. Probably it didn't benefit, right? Like in terms of like being off the ice, like, but, you know, for some players, it did give them a chance to maybe catch up on things and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, you know, like just get another year under their belt, you know, of training. So, you know, it's, it's a weird dynamic here that we're I think we're still trying to sort through. Absolutely. Let's get to our prospect of the week. He was pro- he probably is second to Dustin Wolf for most prospects of the weeks from us. last. <laughs> he is the runner up for that, but he's so good. We can't not bring him up. And that's Yuri Kulik. 13 yeah. points in his first 12 games. Tage Thompson was injured Tuesday night. I think Yuri Kulik should be recalled and given an opportunity to be in the NHL and have a long run. If you're an organization like the Sabres that has given that, you know, in the preseason, you gave Zach Benson the run when he proved it. Yeah. You gave Matt Savoy a game when he came, when he got healthy and after condition stint, because, you know, you wanted that experience. You look at the body of work Yuri Kulik has had. The last 74 games, we have seen him evolve from kind of a young, raw prospect upside to this guy looks like a, an NHL player. Like, he's he been an NHL player, I think, right now as a regular. Now, I'm not saying you do that. I don't think you need yeah. to. There's not really a rush. And, you know, I think he should be in Rochester last year. But they'd be remiss not to give him an opportunity, especially with Buffalo secondary scoring being as abysmal as it is. You have to give him a shot. You know, they have, like, there's going to come a point where Isaac Rosine, who's a great prospect in his own right, will be knocking on the door. And you got to give him a chance. Because once you start giving the Bensons, the Savoys, and those guys chances with, frankly, maybe a higher pedigree, but a much smaller body of work, you got to reward a guy like Kulik that's really bought into the process and has rapidly evolved over the last calendar year. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you already started to, like, hear some kind of, like, the noise starting to come out of Buffalo, right? Like the fans and the media, like, hey, you oh, know yeah, he, he's like, at that stage of the prospect where it's like free Kulik. We're almost yeah. free Kulik hashtag <laughs> coming. Should we start that? <laughs> well, I, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but like, like the Sabres yeah. have been very adamant, and, and they've stuck to their guns on this. That like, you know, we're going to be patient with these guys, right? Like, you know, like sure. Jamie Paterka was the same one, Jack Quinn the same one. Like, you know, high high end picks at that they've resisted the urge to rush. Now, like, Kulik doesn't even turn 20 until what the end of the year, like at the end of the season, I should say, and. You look at like obviously the the production wise he's there like at this level I think production wise there's nothing left for him to show like what uh, between last year's playoffs and this year like 16 goals in 24 games like you know you know most recently after a great rookie season right like first round pick I uh, did it all last year right like you know really coachable uh, eager to learn went to the World Junior um, you know had a big role there came back. Yeah. Um, handled handled the transition back to the pro game well. Went in that had a huge playoff. Rochester goes all the way Eastern final. Um, kind of like I mean, if you were in Buffalo, I mean, you could not have drawn it up better, like for him, like as an eight. Yeah. And then like yeah, the impressive thing now is he comes in, he's like does it again and and, and even better. Now again, as with every young player, you want to round out the other side of the game, you know, the defensive side. And coaches will will. will you know, go on and on and on and on about that, but it's, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's, it's, it's that way for a reason. So, but I, I, I'm with you. Like I can definitely see the well, pressure now with Thompson, especially being out. That's um, if anything, just make it a reward is kind of what I'm saying. Like you, you've bought into the process. We yeah. need goal scorers. You have proven to be a great goal scorer. Is his game fully or fine and fine tuned? Maybe not to where Buffalo wants it to be, yeah. and that's okay. As you said, he's not even twenty yet. But I think you get into a slippery slope with a team like Buffalo that has so many young, intriguing prospects. When you start giving certain guys, like rewarding certain guys, without proving as much as Cooley had, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that there, there, there is definitely an importance to having consistency with that, yeah. because with Cooley, he is bought in to what they have sold. Yeah. He has done everything Seth, Seth Appert has wanted. He's progressed immensely. He has work to do. But listen, what's the worst that can happen? He goes up there. Maybe he, like, he's also produced quite a bit at 5 out of 5 in the AHL, mm-hmm. right? So so while he is kind of a scorer, and he can't get quiet on you sometimes where there are those lulls because he's a goal scorer, and that's kind of his bread and butter. When he's not scoring, it can be tough. I think that the worst case scenario is he goes up there. He's not ready, whatever, but he got the first game out of the way. He sees how far he needs to get away to get there. And he brings back back, back down to Rochester because the inverse of that is you, if you don't give him a chance, you have him going, well, why wasn't I given a chance? Why? Like what else do I need to prove? Right? Like until he can see it and measure himself up against other people, maybe see any more time. So have those thoughts wondering. So I, I don't know. I, I don't want to make any predictions, but I, I think it makes sense to give you a curly call up. I see what you're saying. Now, I think that's where communication really will come in handy. Now, Seth Appert's a great communicator. Like you, you gotta do. If you decide not to call him up, you gotta keep the player like you know on that page. Like, okay, this is why you know that you know this is this, you know tr- you've trusted the plan so far. Stick with the plan. Uh, trust what we're doing with you. That you know this is best for your long term growth. And like. Where, where teams get in trouble like that is if they don't effectively communicate that message to players and they kind of like keep them, you know, in, in the dark on it. Uh, yeah. But the other track, but wait, I want to say one more thing, Pat. Here's, here's my counter to that though, is you could say whatever you want to say to him, 
But sure. if you're, it, let's say, like in in the workforce, right? Like you're performing, and let's it's your performance is judged by sales or volume, and it's known what your production is. Your production is at a point that you rewarded. The other young, shining prospects that have potential, fresh out of school, you know, in the workforce, they get their little chance, you know, at a promotion for a little bit, and then you don't, and you're told, you know, trust the process. That's fine, but the reality is, no matter what you're telling them, it's gonna stick, and that and that's something they and. Players have long memories with that kind of stuff. That's sure. all I would say about that. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Like it, it's it's delicate, right? Like anytime. Totally. Like, I mean, this is a this is a situation. This is questions that you'll 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 see NHL teams have to ask themselves time and time again with you know players. You know, like this this is a real sticky uh, issue sometimes for teams. Yeah. Um, I think the yeah. other challenge with with that is keeping them down is you do sometimes run in the risk of a player being down in the HL for too long, right? Where like exactly it gets a little bit boring. It gets a little too easy, right? Like, so you got to kind of keep that challenge level high. Um, so you got it, you know, if he's, you know, we obviously know he could put the puck in the net. So like now, now, okay, you have to challenge him in different ways. Like maybe put him in more uncomfortable situations. Sure. Um, yeah. Give him something where there's a growth opportunity because I think you, you, you can see players start to, to kind of veer off course if, if, you know, it's like anything. If it's not challenging anymore, your 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 mind wanders, your attention span wanders, and maybe you slip into some bad habits. So, like, I think that yeah, this is a this is something to really keep an eye on because um, I do think you got to navigate this one carefully because you got a special player here, right? Like, so you, you exactly. Like, I don't think that like we're talking about him being so angry or requesting a trade. I want to be very clear here. I'm not no, saying no. that. I, I'm no, just no, saying no, that. No, I'll say like he's he's got a good head on his shoulders. Smart kid. For sure, um, you know, good, good, good. Uh, yeah, professional mentality. All and all that. I was just trying to say is that, like, you know, if you wanted to keep, you know, drinking the Kool Aid, you know, you got to kind of. It's a two way street in some ways when you kind of earn it like that. So for sure, I gotta say, like, I I love Yuri Kulik as the player. I I think he's. I, I think this year he'll for sure make his NHL debut in some shape or form. Don't know how long that will be, but I expect to see him making a long Calder Cup run with the Rochester Americans. Um, okay, before we get to around the A and close the show, let's get to our team of the week, the Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina right. Hurricanes. That's it. Uh, we, we <laughs> We're done. They don't have an AHL team. Um, anyways, but they do have some prospects that yes. are kind of being scattered around various places. A um, couple of them are going back to the Wolves, it appears yeah. like. Uh, we talked last show about how Wendell Young, you know, He's got two phones, like Kyle Dubas. You know, he, he the guy's making trades all day. Makes a couple loans, like get, get some players back in the system. Let's run through some of the prospects that are there. Um, one notable admission is uh, Ryan Suzuki, who is uh, going to be in no man's land for the rest of the year. It seems like as a black ace, uh, which is quite unfortunate uh, for him, unless they get him loaned elsewhere. But uh, all right, let's start with Vasily Ponmarov, who was with Tucson. To start, I believe. Yeah, so he goes to Tucson, plays uh, uh, two games there. Actually, ironically, against the Wolves when they were out out in Tucson. Um, I I taught. Did I tell you this last year or last week or what? Like Wendell Young, he's he's gonna do something, right? Like yeah. sure enough, he did. Um, they get Panamaroff. Uh, he's going back to Chicago, reassigned. You know, so his path has been from the Hurricanes to Tucson, now into Chicago. Um, so that's, that's a huge addition to their lineup. Then the, the three players that they had all defensemen that had been in, in the ECHL with Norfolk, 
uh, because they couldn't find a spot for them uh, to start the year, promoted up from Norfolk uh, to the Chicago Wolves. So that's, uh, you know, three real capable defensemen now that you've injected in the lineup. And Chicago needs it, right? Like they're a team that started off, uh, you know, two wins in their first 10 games. I mean, just nowhere near what anybody expected for that team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the, the whole idea is if you're not going to have an affiliate, like you better be winning because like, what are you doing otherwise? Yeah. Um, and certainly the wins were not coming. Um, so yeah, when Wendell Young, uh, he, uh, he uh, sounded the alarm. Uh, certainly I think that sends a message right, right, right to the Chicago room. Like, all right, now we just brought in four uh, players that are capable, more than capable, I should say, of being regulars at this level. Uh, to come in, he's got these guys are here to take your jobs, so and, you better wake up. And Ponrev has has three points in his first two games yeah. to join the Wolves. Um, Griffin Mandel, give us a bit of backstory yeah. on him. Yeah, good, solid year last year in uh, Norfolk, uh, or I should say in Chicago at the AHL level. Like you know, certainly at this level is is a proven defenseman. I mean, I'm interested to see kind of where he started in 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 Norfolk, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see where he can take this. I mean, like, um, he's a smart player. Uh, I can tell you right off the bat there. Um, it's these kind of guys that Chicago's needed, right? Where yes. They have, they have the Chris Terry's, the Rocco Grimaldi's, and all these guys. Where they've really lacked is depth. And by depth, I mean this sort of injection of younger-ish. I don't want to yeah. say skill. That's but like youth, like youth yeah, in your lineup around the edge because yeah. having those guys as opposed to AHL two-way guys or ECHL elite players kind of mold, it makes a big difference. Yeah, Mandel is a, a, a very much a, like he's an AHL player. Like, right, this, exactly. Like, you know, maybe he's got more more in him, but he's certainly not an ECHL player. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, great size, like 6'6", 220, uh, pretty well-developed like in sense like he played five years in college. I got that extra fifth year. Uh, came up, uh, had a real solid year in Chicago. Like that, that was, that was the problem with like this whole situation was like, here you have a player like coming off a really good year in Chicago. And then he ends up having to go down to the ECHL and you're like, that's just, it's not good for anybody. So I think everybody took a step back and realized like, all right, we, 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 we got to get this situation a little bit square away. Like this is, it's not serving anyone. Well, the Wolves are losing games, um, from Carolina side of things. They have, you know, capable players that are playing a level below where they should be. And it's not serving anyone's purpose. Now, let me ask you a question. Could we see a situation where all those Carolina guys end up back in Chicago? <laughs> because Jameson yeah. Reese has zero points in 11 games in Springfield. He's yep. struggling immensely. You know, the guys we, we, we just listed there, one was in the ECHL when he shouldn't have been. One was kind of on the outside edges of a Tucson team. A good Tucson team, but still not ideal. Could we see the band get back together kind of sort of or <laughs> you know what <laughs> like at this stage i i rule nothing out like um uh, it's been such a up and down like roller coaster and like uh, a little bit of a soap opera and now like you bring okay. in like uh, a guy like dominic uh, fensor like uh you know good you know <sighs> coming out be you like a guy that needs to be playing at this level so uh, now you get him in like so uh, I, I can't tell you exactly where it's going to go, but I know that they're not going to tolerate losing in Chicago. Um, you know, I think. And also, else, like, but, but also Carolina is not going to tolerate their guys sucking on these other teams. Well, and you know, certainly and like, ha like, having them know, all in different places, like get, get them all together. 
Yeah, no, it, it doesn't band serve, back together. I'm all for it. It doesn't serve anyone's purpose the way the way it was started off. Like now, like at least in the you know you're getting your players under one roof at least some of them. Um, because I mean, maybe the player development guy can see his family for once because he's all over the place. <laughs> that's my well, that, yeah, right. And that that's a whole other. And so yeah, these players need to be together. They need to be like doing you know, at least have some cohesion. And, and, you know, from a Chicago standpoint, like some of those players had better wake up like that are there that aren't. Oh, yeah. Because like you, the best deal you got was to sign with an independent team uh, this summer. Um, yeah. You're not affiliated with an NHL club. You're not under any sort of NHL contract. You better wake up because. But, but this is but this is the, the beauty of what they're doing here is that it's while it's bringing back Carolina's guys, whatever. It's also what you're saying. It's a message like, all right. It, it, there's no draft as Wendell has said in like a thousand interviews. There's no draft pick entitlement as he likes to call it, but it's also like best players are going to play. And some of you guys are not the best players right now. So, you know, you sign like the opportunity is still there for these players, but I think they, they need some internal competition. They need depth. So it makes a lot of sense in those fronts. Um, before we move on, I want to say shout out to Adam Scheel, 917 save percentage in six games. I actually wrote a story about him for the Hockey News Magazine, went down to Idaho, you know, really refine his game last year. Come back up is a great goaltender to start the year for yeah. Chicago. And, you know, Keith Kincaid hasn't really been that stabilizing forcing that they expected. Um, but, you know, on a more positive note, Shield has really, really looked confident in the crease. And it's something that is a good signing by Wendell Young and co. So let's get to around the eight before we sign off today's show. Empty out your ancient notebook, my man. <laughs> so you don't even uh, have a notebook, do you? Do you even have one? It's all up here. It's all up here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, and, and, and the computer. But, uh, the computer, yeah. No physical notebook. Um, yeah, so Let's first off. I, have one. <laughs> I used to have one when I started off. Like That was when there was more of a paper and pen. When you were a scribe. Yeah. Um, starting off, yeah, uh, Jack Campbell. Uh, obviously a big story. Um, he's having a tough NHL one. level. Yeah, he's... Uh, Sent down to Bakersfield, they're on a yeah. road trip. Um, gets thrown right in against uh, the Abbotsford Canucks team that's kind of been kind of been rolling, right? And uh, has kind of a rocky start. Um, and you know, yeah, I, I, he has a worse save percentage in the AHL than he did in the NHL. Well, yeah, and you know, it's bad. Now, I will say this: like he has shown in the past, like he can go down to the AHL when he runs into NHL difficulty, go down kind of reset his game, come back and be better off for it. Um, I like just the fact he's, he's not in Edmonton right now. Like, cause that's just a situation. I don't think it's serving anyone well. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's been a rough goal for him so far. Three starts, 13 goals against, uh, Yikes. you know, he's, you know, like he's just, yeah, he's fighting all right. Now, you know, yeah, like, and you he's know, one of the like, best guys you'll meet in hockey. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. I remember when uh when he was in town with Edmonton, uh yeah in town being Toronto last year, um he the way he was just talking to the media, like it almost everyone I, after we all said like God, you just wanted to hug him. Like he's just so nice and like he you know he was having a tough year and you're just like, you know, he's such a good guy. You hate to see it for anyone, but it's like you because you could tell he wears it on him so much. Okay, I hijacked this. Sorry, Pat continue. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do like now for, for Bakersfield, uh, they wrap up this trip in Calgary, and then they're home really for the better part 
um, all the way till the end of the calendar year. Like they have a couple like, you know, short little like one, two day road trips, but like, yeah. it's nice. Like he's going to get to settle in, I think, um, get a lot of practice time in, um, really start to work on things. Like now I think, it, you know, you can look at his struggles so far and it's, it's been rough. Like they drop him right in. It's a road trip and it's, it's just not the ideal situation to, to be dropped into. Right. Especially when you're trying to find your game. So like this will be good for him get back off the road, get home, get settled in Bakersfield, really start to work on your game. Uh, second part, uh, what does Chris Knobloch's hiring mean for Hartford? We touched on this a little bit. Uh, well, for right now, it means Steve Smith is the, the interim. Um, but I do think you'll probably need at some point, uh, for, you know, from what I've been told, is to bring in some sort of assistant. Like, you know, I think Rangers can kind of fill in some gaps here with some of the development staff here and there. But, um, yeah, you need, you know, it, it – it's not like it used to be where, you know, like one coach, uh, one head and one assistant was enough. Like you need, yeah. you need a kind of a more rounded out staff. Maxime Groshev, uh, Syracuse crunch, five goals, last two games, third round pick coming out of, uh, the Russian ranks last year. Um, keep an eye on this kid. Like, um, another situation where Tampa might have, uh, maybe, maybe just found, uh, uh, somebody with some, uh, you know, a little bit of undercover potential. So uh, that's that's obviously the, the, the Lightning's MO for for better part now of, what, 10 years. Last thing, Chris Terry, congratulations to him. Hit 700 points, a guy that's been just uh, grinding away in the AHL. Like, you know, he's played, I think, so, somewhere in the range of about 150 NHL games. Like, your classic guy that's kind of like – been up and down on that bubble for, for years and years and years. Um, went to Chicago this year, um, you know, as an independent player, was really uh, kind of intrigued by that opportunity, a chance to uh, kind of try things out, different kind of environment. So, yeah, like 700 points for me at this level, you know, especially with a shorter schedule and just the fact that most players, you know, if you're good, you're not playing a full season in the AHL anyway. 700 points here is like more probably closer to like, you know, hitting 1,000 in the NHL. It's a huge achievement. Uh, very few players actually do it, especially in this day and age. Absolutely. Well said, Pat. All right. That uh, marks today's show that we told producer Connor would be shorter, but end up being a marathon one. Sorry about that. But uh, anyways, thank you for listening, folks. And we'll catch you next week with the latest in the AHL. Take care.